Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. Do me a favor, just put your hands together and welcome my friend, Pastor Alan Griffin. What is up? Good morning. Oh, man, I know y'all. This is the best service. Anybody who gets up at 9 o'clock in the morning to go to church, you going to heaven. You are going to heaven. I woke up this morning with a football hangover. I was so scared last night. I was like, oh, Jesus, please help the 49ers. Because if, if they lose, Pastor John's going to send everybody to hell today. And hallelujah, Jesus is alive. They won. God is good. And I get to preach. This is great. By the way, my name is Alan Griffin. If you missed it, I'm an evangelist. I love my job. I travel all over the world, get to yell at people just like you, not as good looking as you, but I get to yell at people like you about God. And today, I want to yell at you about one of the five senses. Now, on Friday night, everybody say Friday night. If you missed it, I don't know what you were thinking. Friday night, I talked about the sense of smell. Yesterday in the morning, I talked about sight and vision. And today, we're going to talk about touch. Are you ready? Okay, so grab your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. This is going to be so much fun. I'm feeling great. We're going to Luke chapter 8. And while you're looking that up, um, I have a bunch of ministry tools I want to equip you with. They're right outside that door. I have a very handsome man that is running that table. He would love to take your money. I heard he's single. He's looking for a wife. And we are taking applications. Okay. So, you can pick up out there as you leave our book, Undefeated. If you did not get this book, it will bless your life. It's all about living life in supernatural victory. Supernatural victory is when you meet people who knew you before, and they go, hold up now. That brother's not the same brother I knew before. There's something different about him. That girl, she's walking in a newness I have not seen in her. That's supernatural victory. You can look back at him and say, I know, right? I know I am not what I used to be. Jesus has been blessing me. How do we walk in that? How do we live in that? How do we walk that out daily? That's what the book is about. I'll never forget when I released this book. It was quite a while ago. When I released the book, I, I was praying hard like, Jesus, now you know I'm not proud, but please, please let somebody buy this book. And they did. Our book shot up our publisher's bestsellers list. Get this, y'all. My book outsold Joseph Prince and Joel Osteen's books. Hey. For nine days. Um, that was it. Yeah. We got hammered after that. But if you want to get a copy of this book, it'll be available to you. I'd love to sign your book. I'm going to run out there. I'm just going to warn you up front. I am a serial hugger. I am not to be trusted around humans. I will hug you, okay? And after I preach, I'm slightly soaked. So it will be a moist chocolate hug. So don't come to my table and walk up and be like, mm, no, -uh, I'm about to hug the mess. I will turn your white milk into chocolate milk like that. Okay? I love you. So out there, 
Watch me. Now, honestly, if you're, if you're someone who says, man, I'm concerned about health concerns and things, I have a really good uh, suggestion. This is really cool. Just wave. If you wave at me, I'll wave back, okay? I promise not to attack you. Just wave at me. I'm not a bear. I'm a man. I'll just wave. I'll wave back. If you say, man, I want to touch you, but I don't want to go crazy, stick your hand out. I'll shake your hand. I won't even pull you in and kiss you. I promise. I'll just shake your hand. But if you want a hug, you open your arms. It's on like Donkey Kong. Okay? This is the rules of Alan. Now you know I love you, Holy Spirit fingers to everyone. Okay? Um, we also have a, a DVD series back there, DVD and CD, called The Aroma. It starts off with what I preached uh, Saturday, I'm sorry, Friday, and moves on into another message that I believe God will bless your life with uh, called The Place Setting. I'm not preaching that today, but, man, it's powerful. You can get that at the back. Finally, we have shirts. I don't always get to carry shirts, but... America needs a shirt right now. And they just need a simple one. So we just got this shirt. It just says Jesus. How many of y'all know that's what America needs right now? Jesus. There's a lot of things they don't need, but they need Dream City Church to represent, to show forth, to bring them, give me. See, that's what it's all about. She sang it. That's good. That's what we need. So I just made this shirt, and I said, man, I just want people to know Jesus. And I love shirts that let me share my faith, man. I, I've, I've shared my faith with so many people just by wearing a T-shirt. It's fabulous. And then we want to have some fun. So on the back, it says, he's been lit since Genesis. He's the light of the world. And the back of the shirt glows in the dark. Oh, yeah. My favorite nephews in the world. Pow. Don't worry. Come to the next service. You'll get a chance to get one, too. I got you, sis. Okay, if you're ready for the word, somebody say, preach. preach. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Wait, let me, let me set this up. How? Luke chapter 8, if you're there, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. He fell at Jesus' feet. He fell at Jesus' feet. It seemed like everybody who had an encounter with Jesus seemed to have it at his. Okay, so here we go. He fell at Jesus' feet and pleading with him to come to his house because his own daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Ooh, that's a powerful term. You got to catch that. Crushed him. The crowds were crushing him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. This is important. I remember when I was growing up, we read this in the King James Version. I remember it from then. And this is what it said. It said, there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd been under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard that Jesus was walking by, she thought to herself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. Immediately, when she reached out and touched him, immediately, paraclema, great word, she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around the crowd and said hey who touched me now I know what you're thinking so many of you in this room sorry I switched on you you're doing NIV and I switched on you but that's because I when I was a little kid I grew up in the Baptist church and we memorized the Bible and if we memorized the Bible we got to have oh Henry candy bars and Susan B Anthony dollars and I'm chubby because of memorization and Jesus love It's all spiritual fact. <laughs> so when you read the story, you and I imagine Jesus like, you know, like, 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 like the, the, the chosen. Who touched me? 
or Old Testament, you know, New King, Old King James stuff. Who toucheth my epidermis? That's not what Jesus did. I can prove it. Jesus said, amen. Who touched me? Who put the hands on me? I promise you he did that. You might be saying, well, Alan, there's no way. Check it out. Look at the next, very next verse. Very next verse. Very next verse. It says this. When they all denied it. Jesus didn't go, who touched me? <laughs> I, I kind of did. I thumped into you, Jesus. <laughs> For an entire crowd of people who were crushing him to be like, nah, son, it wasn't me. It was Boudreaux. Boudreaux did it. Boudreaux like, yo, you better shut your mouth, fool. I didn't do nothing. <laughs> Why are they denying it? What is going on? When they all denied it, Peter came to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Master, 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 all the people are crowding and pressing around you. Jesus said, no, 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 son, no, son, somebody touched me, for I felt dunamis power go out of me. At once, the woman realized that what she'd done would not go unnoticed. And so in presence of all the people and trembling with fear, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Father, I pray this morning, the next few moments, we would walk out of here supernaturally empowered by your word. Lord, I pray today that you would bless your people in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. 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 Today's altar call is brought to you by the letter T for touch. This story rocks my world. And today I'm going to prove to you in 20 minutes that Jesus healed a woman with one touch and then he saved her life with one word. And how you and I are going to do the same thing right here in Omaha. We're going to heal this city with one touch. And we're going to save their lives with one word. It's going to be good, y'all. Because it's the word of God. This message is also brought to you by the Bible. So Jesus is walking and all of a sudden there's this crowd crushing him. And I love Jesus because here's what Jesus' life story is. He did things on his way to do things. His life message was pardon the interruption. He'd be on his way to heal somebody and he'd have to heal somebody. It's amazing. He's trying to have a sandwich and everybody else wants a bite. So he breaks it up and feeds 4,000, 5,000 men plus women and children. This dude is a beast. But he was always doing good things. on the. You know, when I was in school, uh, I had a professor say to me once, he goes, if you want to do well in school, when you're not doing anything, do something. And it stuck with me, man, that every moment we have is pregnant with opportunity. For us to give birth to something that will change someone else's life. And we have to maximize that opportunity. Every single moment, that's Jesus. And so he's walking and this crowd is pressing in around him and, and, and he screams out, hey, who touched me? And nobody wants to claim it. You see, touching back then was a little taboo. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced that the same struggles we struggle with today, they struggle with then. And, and, and you can't even tell me otherwise. People are like, oh, they ain't never had nothing like COVID. Are you kidding me? These people were tripping back then. <laughs> tripping. The average person would be so happy to live to 50. 
They thought, man, you've lived a 50. You are ancient. You're the ancient of days, boy. You lived that long back in Jesus' day. And Jesus was older. He was 30 at least years old. So, so people were around him going, dude, he's, he's so mature. He's, he's amazing. Because life was tough. I'm afraid that today, as life has gotten a little tougher for America, because we're really blessed, that we've lost touch. And I'm not just talking about COVID-19 or, or Marion or Omicron or the new Transformers movie. I'm talking about the struggles that we're facing today is, I feel like darkness is trying to steal our touch, that we're losing touch. And we were losing touch, y'all, before COVID-19. Okay, we were. Like, you go and hang out with people, and you'd be like, you know, regular people, not necessarily church people, just people in the world, anybody you hang out with. And you go, man, you know, we went out, and we were feeding people, and we touched a lot of people today, you know, and reached out, and people are like, he said touch. He's <laughs> weird. He said touching people. <laughs> Why do we do that? Because we've lost touch. Touch has become a joke. I'm not talking about stranger danger or inappropriate touch. I'm talking about good old-fashioned, nice touch. People come to me all the time with their rhetoric, and they go, oh, Brother Allen, the problem with America. I'm so sick of the problem with America. There ain't no problem with America. We just need more Jesus. That's it. No, there's no problem that's too big for Jesus. But people come to me, you know the problem with America is we, we stop praying in school. I looked at these people, and I said, you are lying. We did not stop you Cannot stop prayer in school as long as there's pop quizzes, there will be prayer in school. As long as there's proms and girls to ask, there will be prayer. <laughs> Seriously, there is not one law against you praying in school. No one. It just says, hey, the teacher shouldn't lead it. That's cool. Students can pray all they want. They can lead prayer. They can walk them down the hallway praying. There's not one thing to stop that. Stop lying to yourself. You know what the problem is? We lost touch in school. That's my thing. I think we've lost touch. See, I remember when you sit at your desk and teacher put her hand on your shoulder and be like, boy, you can do this. I've seen you do it before. Get that algebra, boy. Get it. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Work super hard and get a C. But there's something about that teacher putting her hand on my shoulder made me believe in myself. You know what we stopped doing? We stopped spanking kids at school too. That's why kids acting crazy. You know why they got guns? Because you ain't beat that booty. Am I getting invited back? Do you paddle one kid, son? It's over. When I was in school, they used to paddle the fire out of us, man. We didn't come to school with no belt. We came to school with Charmin stuck in our pants. Sorry. I ain't getting spanked by Pastor Angels. You can beat me, dropping garbage on my floor. We've lost touch. And see, here's what the scripture says. It says that correction is love. 
So when we stop touching students in school, we stop showing them that we love them. And now school is bereft of love. Skip the whole thing of prayer. We can't even get to prayer when people don't think you love them. How are you going to share Jesus when nobody thinks you actually love them? Because you're afraid to touch them. And, 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 and people go, well, Alan, that's just one area. Okay, how about entertainment? When you watch a movie now, there's no more touching. There's just sex. It's like, hey, you look good. Sex. The first time ever I sex. I was watching a cartoon the other day. There was like buck wild activity in a cartoon. I'm like, what kind of mess? Like they walk up to each other. Hi. Boom. Music. It's like, what is going on? No more intimacy. No more whole movies written about just holding someone's hand and kissing them. None of that. No more romance. None. When's the last time you wrote a love note? You better get busy. You only got a few more weeks before Valentine's Day. That's Super Bowl Sunday for husbands. And think about it. It's right after Super Bowl. So your, energy, your, your focus is razor sharp. I'm having fun. They struggle with it during Jesus Day too. It's not new. How do we fix it? How do we get to the point where people around us know we love them and the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached? Matthew chapter 19, we see Jesus dealing with the same thing with his disciples. The Bible says this, that people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked him. Hey, get your hands off Jesus. That cracks me up. Jesus looked at him and said, amen. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he stayed there until he touched every kid. Till he blessed and prayed for every child. Then he left. This is so important. Remember what I said, there was a lot of sickness back then. So don't think, oh, Alan, you just preached about COVID-19. No, 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 no. During the time of Christ, people were dying of sickness every single day. If they lived to 48, they were in heaven. They lived to 48, like, man, I'm a, I'm a man. So when little children are coming to Jesus and Jesus is blessing them, the disciples are tripping because they're like, hold up. These little walking Petri dishes are carrying sickness, they eat dirt, they play with animals, they're going to get Jesus sick, the Messiah's going to die. Get your hands off of Jesus. And Jesus, and this is how we fix it, he turned a Hebrew culture into a kingdom culture. He flipped the script. He said, hey, in your Hebrew culture, children have very little value because there is such an infant mortality and you were always afraid that your child might not make it because there wasn't the medicine we have today. And so they have lots of children with hopes that they would live through the travesties and the tragedies and the sicknesses and the, 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 the poverty and, and the disease that they would live to be adults. And so from zero until a child was five, nearly six years of age, they called that the freedom period. And they let those kids run like feral kids because they were so nervous. They didn't want to put too much weight or emphasis or care because they were scared. And Jesus said, in this community culture of honor, dishonor, I'm going to shave, I'm going to shake this up and show you what I'm introducing. It's a kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, children matter. 
In the kingdom of God, you used to think in the honor dishonor culture, you think that the elders are the only thing that matters and everybody else submits to the elders. Jesus says this, yes, submission is important, but in my kingdom from birth until the grave, you are to be honored, respected, and cared for. Children matter. It's being proven right now. This church has incredible children's ministry. Why? Because we live in the kingdom and in the kingdom, our children are worthy of our investment. They're worthy of our time. They're worthy of our creativity. They're worthy of the gospel. They're worthy of them fish crackers. They're worthy. We don't even get fish crackers. You get jacked every week and they get candy every week. Why am I in here? Because Jesus shifted the culture that these kids, man, they're so important. They're valuable. Man, I got to hurry up. Um, in the time of Christ, in, in Galilee, where, where, where a lot of his life he lived, these children had incredible uh, uh, upbringing that was so unique. Um, from zero to six was the freedom period. They ran around, do whatever they wanted. But from six to ten, they went through a period called Beth Sefer. Everybody say that, Beth Sefer. It means the house of education or learning. From 6 to 10, they would go to school. They'd, they'd be under the rabbi, and they would learn the, the first few books of the, of the Bible. Back then, it wasn't necessarily the Bible. But they would learn the first few books of the Bible, and they would memorize the word. And, and as they studied what, what they called the Torah, they were in silence. So it was kind of like a silent retreat. When they were at school, they didn't get to talk for four years. How many educators in here would love it if your six-year-olds to 10-year-olds were not allowed to talk in school? Wouldn't that be amazing? we get so much done. Then from 10 to 14, they ended a period called Beth Talmud. Beth Talmud. So Beth Sefer, they memorized and learned the Torah. And if they spoke in school, they could only speak the Torah. And then from, from 10 to 14, they learned the Talmud, which is the uh, Jewish prophetic cultural writings, okay? They're not canon. They're not like lockdown scripture. But there's a lot of Bible-type stories and prophecies in the Talmud. And, and so they would learn that. And during that period, this is cool, they got to ask questions, and at 12 years of age during Beth Talmud is when they would select their vocation. They would choose a vocation and they would serve a rabbi. Now, I wish I could just act this out and show you what it looks like, but let me tell you what it looks like. The 12-year-old young man, girls didn't count. So how smart were they? Girls couldn't be educated, dummies. And that's why that way doesn't exist today. Because Jesus showed up and said, oh, your community culture, y'all don't get it. In my kingdom, children matter. But in my kingdom, male and female were made in the image of God. And they have equal footing at the cross. They are to be educated. They are to be disciples. That's why I love Jesus. Jesus fixed all that stuff that culture was corrupting. <laughs> this is so cool. So the 12-year-old boys would, would go find a rabbi. And wherever the rabbi was, if they wanted to serve that rabbi, and they said, man, I want to be a rabbi myself, they would follow the rabbi around. Wherever the rabbi went, they'd follow the rabbi. They'd follow the rabbi. Rabbi went to the grocery store, follow the rabbi to the grocery store, follow the rabbi everywhere. And every time the rabbi would stop, stop moving, they would reach out and tug on his seat zit. They'd tug on the tassel of his prayer shawl. And they'd say, teach me, teach me, teach me. Rabboni, 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 Rabboni. They would call out for the teacher, and they'd pull on his tassel. 
And finally, you ever have somebody pull, tagging, tugging, 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 pulling, tugging, and pulling, and you're losing your mind, and ah! Stop it! Until the rabbi finally stopped. And, tur- and the rabbi usually wouldn't even turn around because these rabbis were special. They were grand. They would stop, and the, the student would say, Rabbi, will you teach me? And the rabbi usually wouldn't even turn around. He'd just say, $50 a week. And he'd keep walking. And if the, the young man was willing to work and serve and earn that money with his family, then he would follow the rabbi from then on. Or at times they'd turn and go to the home and get the money and come back. But either way, from that moment on, they'd follow the rabbi. And get this, y'all. They would follow the rabbi from 12 until they were 30. They'd go from Beth Talmud to Beth Midrash, which means the house of study or the house of suffering, where they would serve that rabbi like a slave, and they would call themselves slaves to the rabbi. I am the servant of the rabbi. I'll do whatever the rabbi tells me to do. I'll go wherever the rabbi tells me to go. I'll sleep at his door so that if he needs anything, he doesn't have to get out of bed. I'll be right there ready to go do what he wants. And they do that for 16 or 18 years until they turn 30, and the rabbi looks at him and says, now you go find your disciples. And they would go, what age was Jesus? And, and so it's so cool because Jesus was such a good example of taking community culture and redeeming it into kingdom culture. Jesus did it different, y'all. He did it way, way different. See, normally people come up and follow him and, and, and tug on him, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went and found them. But remember the rich young ruler? Now, now you're going to understand this love letter for Jewish people. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and goes, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've done all, I've obeyed all the laws. I want, laws. I want to be your disciple. Jesus goes, that's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor and come follow me. And the, the young man walked away. Why? The price was too See, back then, if a rabbi didn't want to teach you because you were a jerk in his class, they'd raise the price so high you couldn't pay it. So you'd tug on their thing, and he'd go, $500 a week. And the student would walk away sad because he knew the rabbi didn't want him. Jesus told that man, come follow me. Sell everything you have and come follow me. He knew that that young man would choose money over the Savior in a heartbeat. So he knew he couldn't trust him. He knew he couldn't have him, but maybe this would save him, that he would see who he really was in his community of culture and realize that I'm far away from the kingdom. (laughs) Jesus exposed it. But Jesus didn't wait for men to come to him or women to come to him. Jesus went to them. He said, hey, all y'all out there fishing, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He goes to the tax collector. That's just crazy that he went after a tax collector. I mean, I, I have a lot of people in my church, but I never went. Uh, we're having a special service for the IRS. We never ever thought that. <laughs> he goes to the tax collector. Hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He goes to a, 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 a physician. Hey, I want you to come and work with me. We're going to work on hearts. I mean, this guy, oh, Jesus is fantastic. And Jesus didn't make them his slaves. This is so important. In John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus didn't say, you're servants. He said, I call you friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. 
Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. I said it yesterday. We sing that song. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Yeah. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. We sing it. But here's the deal. That is the beginning of the kingdom for us. That is not the end. The beginning is, man, I'm walking in the door and Jesus calls me his friend. But that's only the beginning. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While Jesus was talking to a crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside. They should have came inside. His mother and brothers stood outside. They should have came inside. Wanting to speak to him. Someone said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. Their, their, their grand selves should have came inside. Wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, Jesus is not being cheeky. This is culture. He's not being a jerk. Listen to what he says. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus did something the community culture, honor, dishonor culture, could not understand. Jesus established family outside of blood relation. Kingdom, family. Kingdom family. We come here every week because Pastor John Weasel and Pastor Angel throw a family reunion weekly. And we come together because we are family. I got all my sister's brothers with me. We're family. Can you imagine what the disciples felt like when he said that? He esteemed them to the level of his own brothers and mother. Now, Jesus wasn't rejecting his mom. He was leading his disciples. He was showing them the way that we are not just supposed to be friends. And you say, he's just a. And we're not just supposed to be serving one another like those disciples would serve the rabbis. No, we are family and family is more important it's the preeminent thing in the family, in the life of a Jewish person. It's preeminent over everything. Family. Wow. This is amazing. I'm almost done preaching. Y'all okay? So Jesus is walking around. The crowd's crushing him. And a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years reaches out and touches the tassel. The seat zit. That same thing that disciples would pull on. She touches it. She's healed. Jesus turns around. Hey! Who touched me? Now, what was happening? Couple things. Number one, the woman, because of her condition, was ceremonially and socially unclean. But we don't always talk about the social uncleanliness. We only talk about the you know, the religious uncleanliness from their community culture. But there was a social culture as well. It's called Shomer Nagia. Shomer Nagia. That means with regards to touch. S-H-O-M-E-R-N-E-G-I-A-H. Shomer Nagia. And, and a woman who's Shomer Nagia in an Orthodox Jewish or a, a, a practicing Jewess, 
um, or, or Hasidic Jewess, she, she would cover her hair, that's important, or wear a wig, but they would also sometimes wear gloves because they believed that they didn't want to lead men in the community astray because in the community there was a common culture, and that was this, we look out for each other. So a woman, they know how beautiful they are. They don't want you to be turned on or turned wrong. So they would not touch a man who wasn't a family member. They were not allowed to be touched by a man. And if you ever met a Jewess today who's practicing, she might wear gloves because she's honoring you by covering up so that she can be, do the formality of intimacy with you. But they want to honor holiness above personal satisfaction. That's great. What an honor culture. That's beautiful. You know, for women and men, modesty is the garment of true beauty. Say that when you turn on your next social media stream. This woman was not only unclean in the temple and hadn't been able to go to the temple for 12 years, she was unclean and unable to be touched by anyone. And then she was Shomer Nagia. She was double whammied. So when she came to Jesus, crawling on the ground, it was not a good thing. And in an honor-dishonor culture, she was in trouble. She was in trouble. Hmm. Now, before I finish this, Come on, Luis, come on, make me sound spiritual. Play that piano. Play that piano, man. Jesus really believed in his kingdom. It wasn't just a metaphor. It was real. It was real to him. This is so important. Um, because Jesus had a jacked up family. He did. His family was messed up. Okay, remember, oh, let's go back real quick, real quick. What kind of culture did he live in? In honor or dishonor? If you bring dishonor to the family, the family was usually under obligation to either beat you, publicly shame you, or kill you if you dishonored the family. And mob violence ruled the day. Okay, so think about this. Years ago, there's a teenage girl who comes home to her parents and goes, Mom, Dad, you won't believe what happened at prayer meeting. I'm pregnant. <laughs> what do you think her parents did? Oh, no. Oh, I guarantee they blew their top when Mary showed up pregnant. And, and it's no wonder that they made lemonade because Mary goes and sees Elizabeth immediately. She didn't hang out with her family. She immediately goes to be encouraged by Elizabeth. Elizabeth opens the door. We don't know their relation, but they were related. She opens the door, and John the Baptist is in her womb, and he jumps in her womb because the Holy Spirit baptized him in her womb. I want you to know that when you have something going on from God inside of you, it's going to make other people's baby jump. The vision in their heart jump. The dreams in their soul jump. That's why we need to hang out with our spiritual family because the virtue of God in me and the joy of the Lord in you will cause us to be excited and motivated when the whole world wants us dead. 
That's why we come here. We got babies jumping. That's weird because I'm, I'm a guy, but we got babies jumping. And so she's, her whole life, Mary, I'm, I'm telling you, if Mary did know, Mary, did you know for the rest of your life you'd run away from your family? Mary, did you know that everywhere you went they'd call you a whore? Did you know that you probably couldn't trust your own sons to your grave? Because their job in an honor-dishonor culture, anybody, any man in the family, their job was to murder her and kill that baby. Jesus is born. Where is he born? In a stable. Because they didn't make room, as pastor said, in the house. You take you and that little B-word boy out to that barn and you birth him in that cave because he's not welcome here. After Jesus is born, where do they live? Egypt. Why? She couldn't go back home. No, no. Herod was trying to kill the firstborn of every Jew. Her parents were certainly going to turn her in to have little Jesus murdered because it would have brought honor back to the family. She didn't go back for so long. Poor Jesus. See, I'm convinced that Jesus established his family knowing full and doggone well that you and I would also need that family. That we have jacked up family just like he did and he identifies with us who've struggled, who have family that have let us down, who've beat us, hurt us, mistreated us, talked about us, done us dirty, and even church family. Man, church hurt some of the worst hurt. And then some church people treat us like trash too. Good news, Dream City. If you come to this church, we're going to hurt you. But baby, the wounds of a friend are faithful. We're not going anywhere. We'll make mistakes. And you know what? If you stick around, we'll apologize for them. We'll make it right. But hurt happens here. But there's a healer in this place. He's healed me. He can heal you. Jesus needed a good family. His family was jacked up. People are like, oh, it was perfect. No, it was not perfect. It was not. Jesus went to Jerusalem. He was a young man. And when they leave Passover, who did they forget behind? You think they really forgot? Oh, I'm sure his mama forgot. I'm sure his daddy might have forgot. But you really think the aunts and uncles forgot? Bible says they, they traveled a, a, a day and a half and they looked among the people. I can just see her family sucking her... Mm-hmm. Where that little G- mm-hmm. How you gonna leave Jesus behind? The kid that can multiply a happy meal and feed the whole family. You better leave James's sorry butt behind. They left Jesus, the Son of God. You lost Jesus. And so when they turn around and go back, Jesus' dad didn't even talk to him. Jesus' mom walks up to him, and she goes, baby, why'd you do this to me? Baby, why'd you do this to me? And Jesus said, mama, I'm 12. I've chosen my vocation. Did you not know? I must be about my, not my dad's business. I must serve my father's. See, his dad, you go, oh, his dad was mad. No, his dad knew. 
See, there's something about dads. Daddy talked about it yesterday. Bishop talked about it yesterday. There's a period in our life where we stop telling you what to do. And we let you choose and we let you make decisions and we support you. I see Joseph during that moment where Mary's being mama and Mary's being covering and and, and nurturing. And Joseph's like, you better leave that boy alone. He done picked. He going to be the Messiah. That's my boy. That's my boy, y'all. That's my boy. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. He was so excited. He was so excited, and Jesus goes, I've made my choice, mama. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? I'm 12 years old, and I've determined I'm going to be in the business of saving the world. I'm going to be the Messiah. I'm going to be the sacrifice, the lamb that has been slain before the foundations of the world. That's me. (laughs) And then later, Jesus describes himself. Here's what he says. He says, Hey, uh, I know how you feel, Peter. You, you know, you're, you're, your name meant sand, Simon, but now it's Petrus. I know how you feel because I'm the stone that the builders rejected. We used to preach that. He's the stone that the builders rejected. That's the chief cornerstone. Yeah. But let's, let's get in the culture. What was his daddy's business? Not his father's daddy. Carpenter. Were there a lot of trees in this desert wasteland? So his daddy worked with all materials, but the the term used to describe his dad was tecton. His dad was a tecton. That's the word we, we, we derive tectonic, rock, stone, shifting. So his dad worked with stones. Jesus talked a lot more about stones than wood. Because of where he came from. He said, I'm the stone. The build. Who are the builders? His family. I'm the stone that the builders rejected. But guess what? I'm the chief cornerstone now. You know what? This is what he was saying. Let me translate it. Everyone who's ever been rejected, mistreated, dogged out, played out. I am building a foundation in this kingdom where you have a place in this family. You have a place at my feet. You have a place of victory. You have a place of acceptance. You have a place of healing. Because where your family and the world rejects you, this kingdom is not of this world. And it will never turn its back on you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you through the end of the age. That's who Jesus is. One more thing. One more thing. I know we got a minute. One more thing. On the cross, he's dying. He looks down from the cross and goes, Mama, I know you don't feel safe. John, you take care of Mama. We talked about this, John. Take care of my Mama. Mama, I talked to John already. It's taken care of. He's caring for his Mama while he's dying for the world. Why? I don't think he trusted James. Most theologians say James wasn't really saved necessarily until Jesus rose from the dead. He went, oh my goodness, my brother is the real deal. And then he became a massive man of God in the kingdom. So he trusted his kingdom family with his own mama. I said all that to say this. 
That woman crawling on the ground, trying not to touch people, trying not to break the, break the law because they would take her to the edge of a cliff and drop rocks on her till she was dead. She didn't want to break the law. She wasn't trying to sin, but she knew she needed help. She came not to the community of culture. She came to the kingdom, the king of the kingdom, and she reached out and touched the hem of his prayer shawl, and she was healed. But guess what? Her life was in danger. The minute Jesus yelled out, hey! Who touched me? So she was healed with one touch. But now she was going to die. If she would have opened her mouth and told the people what happened, they were going to kill her. Why do you think the Bible says trembling with fear? She told Jesus how she had touched him and how instantly he has made her whole. And Jesus looked at her and he healed her with one touch, church. But he saved her life with one word. What did he call her? He never did that before. He said, daughter. Everybody had rocks in their hands till Jesus said, Don't. oh, <laughs> we were never going to do it. We were just thinking, Roger Clemens, put that rock down. We were never going to do it. We love you. I said all that I taught you about Jesus' family so you'd understand that he never lied. He really believes. And so should we. The people in this room are our family. They're not just good Christian neighbors. They're our family. My mama died a year ago. I don't have any more parents. And you've become so much more valuable to me when I don't have anybody like that. I started to understand what Jesus felt like to have a father in heaven, but a daddy who didn't quite understand him on earth and a mom who was hoping for the best, but knew in the end he would have to die. We need each other. It's a need. And Jesus believed in it so much on the cross, he assigned his mom's treatment to a kingdom brother and not his own brother. And sometimes you got to lean on the church more than you. You know what? His blood is thicker than our blood. So today, I want you to get your touch back. Don't let anything stop your touch. Now, if you got bad intentions, don't do this. We won't trust you like Jesus didn't trust James. Like, oh, your day of redemption's coming. Your, your day of, 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 of growth and spiritual maturity's coming. But right now, if you know full and well that your intentions aren't good, don't fake it. But you and I we need touch. We need it. We need it. People make fun of Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. No, 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 no. Thomas was jealous of touch. He said, I'll believe it, but I want to touch him. Just like you guys did. That's not right. I want to touch him. And Jesus said, okay, go ahead, buddy. Because if you want Jesus, you'll get him. He will not stay away from you. 
In a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I hit three, if you're in this room and you're like, Alan, I want Jesus in my life. I want a relationship with Jesus. When I count to three, I just want you to wave at me, okay? Nobody has to bow your head. Just wave at me. Because we're family. Salvation is a community engagement. It is not a solitary thing. That's why I worship with my eyes open. Because I'm singing with you and to you and to the Lord. I really believe it. That, that's why we're in here singing together. I could sing with my eyes closed in the car. I could sing with my eyes closed at home. I'm singing. I'm looking at you, and I'm going, that's my dog right there. Look at my, that's my cousin. Look at my girl. Look at my dude. Man, you look at him. He's jumping. He ain't got no rhythm, but he's jumping. He's Like, I'm enjoying the experience of together. And that's why when we pray and we spend time together, that sometimes people join the family and you need to see them join the family because it's important for you to be encouraged that God is moving in the hearts of women and God is moving in the hearts of men. Are you ready? You say, man, I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ and I, I want it right now. When I count to three, I want you to wave at me. We're all going to pray together. It's going to be amazing. And then we're going to have a hug party. Okay. Are you ready? One, two, three. Wave at me. Wave at me. Awesome. Yeah, I love you. We're my family. The Bible says that until you know Jesus, you're my neighbor, and I'm supposed to treat you like family. And then once, you're, once you accept Jesus, you're my family, and I treat you like family, but even worse. <laughs> that I get to kiss the brothers and hug the sisters. You're going to get a big sloppy wet kiss from a black man. I promise I won't kiss everybody. I'm just kidding. But if you're ready, I want you to take your right hand, put it over your heart. We're going to pray. We're just going to talk to God. You might want to look up. I imagine him high and exalted on a throne and Jesus sitting at the right hand. And just say this, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I need your forgiveness to take the place of sin and all my failures. I give my life to you now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters all over this room. Lord, I pray that we'd understand that we are family. That, Lord, you bound us together in unity and harmony and spirituality. But, Lord, most important, family. That, Lord, we're the family of God and we are supposed to stick together. Lord, I pray that we would stop losing touch, that we wouldn't be afraid to touch and be touched by the ones that we love and that we would reach out and touch our neighbors that we don't even know. God, that we would show them the true kindness of the kingdom of God, the love of the kingdom of God, not some fake show, but Lord, unique and identifiable concern and care and passion for others. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. and Everybody say amen. Amen. In just a moment, um, we're going to embark on an epic journey of hugging. Now, men, say yeah. Men just grunt, go, oh. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Because you're men, okay? Please remain men during these hugs. You don't have to be like the girls. They hug and cry and all that stuff. You don't have to do all that. Okay, just walk up to your brother. Look at him in the eyeball and say, I love you. You're my family. Okay, ladies, I don't know what you want to do. Y'all, y'all different. You might want to hug. You might want a booty bump. I don't know. But I want you to look 
people directly in their eyeball. Look them in their eyes. Tell them, I love you. You're my family. We do so many other things that don't matter. Don't walk out of here and not tell people the truth. I love you. You're my family. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.